Welcome to The Rep. This is Julie Cortez. On June 11, 2019, I sat down with Sarah B. Mantel and Jessica Kluzanski, playwright and director, respectively, of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival's 2020 production of Everything That Never Happened. Welcome, Sarah and Jessica. Thank you. Um, can you both tell us a bit about this play, just like a basic rundown of the plot and, and its origins as well? Yeah. Um, uh, well, I like to say it's a play about uh, everything that never happened in The Merchant of Venice. Um, but really, for me, it was sort of um, I'd been trying to pretend that The Merchant of Venice didn't exist for as long as I'd known it existed. Um, and I found myself in the middle of uh, in the middle of grad school and a director I loved went right from my play into a production of Merchant. And I uh, and I, you know, sort of like uh, summoned myself and walked into that uh, room and, and met Shakespeare's play um, for the first time in the mouths of people I loved and had a really um, strong reaction to it that was completely different than anybody else in the room. And I had no words to, um, to make myself a bridge back to them. And, and I, and so I, you know, and so I, and so I wrote something that seemed like something complicated that was, um, the beginning of the play. And I found that, you know, the second you look at, uh, Shakespeare's play through the lens of all the things that he didn't know, because among other things, he'd probably never met a Jewish person. Um, it becomes something totally different, which is about uh, passing and assimilation uh, and this relationship between a, a very specific father and daughter and what we leave behind um, for love. Yeah, I, Sarah really just summarized it kind of brilliantly, but I will say one of the beautiful things about this play is that it gives us the opportunity to meet uh, Shylock, Jessica, Lorenzo, and Gabo as real three-dimensional characters. It really does, in a way, take place in the gaps between The Merchant of Venice because it investigates these people as real human beings. Um, and it allows us to discover how challenging it would be if you both love your father but fall in love with a man who's a Christian and decide that you have to leave your father, leave your religion, and leave the ghetto for love. And what ensues. And it's deliciously funny, deliciously painful, and as rich and complex as that would be for any father, daughter, lover, friend, as uh, as you might imagine. What are your individual approaches to, to writing and to directing? And then how do you approach working together? Oh, you want to start? <laughs> uh, you know, my approach to directing varies with every play I direct because every play wants what it wants. Um, and one of the delicious challenges is solving how to bring each play to life. I love Shakespeare and have directed many Shakespeare plays and I love new work and creating new work is one of the most exciting things. It's a thrill ride. Um, and my approach to directing new work is to try to help each play become its best self. I will say I treat Shakespeare like new work and I treat new work like Shakespeare. So I try to assume, and I was certainly right to assume in the case of Sarah B. Mantel, <laughs> that, uh, this text is intentional and brilliant and simply needs to be illuminated and discovered. And, um, the opportunity of working with Sarah on this play has been nothing but joy um, because we have discovered a lot of like-minded 
simpatico understanding about where the play wants to go and how it wants to get there. And that has been nothing but joyous. Aww. <laughs> Over uh, to you. <laughs> um, I think uh, I usually start with structure, and this play um, was too... Uh, it was it was too much for me. I didn't know how to write it when I started writing it. So it really started in all these little scraps and scenes and little pieces of things. And I really um, I had a lot of dramaturgs up in my process, bless them, um, <laughs> that made it possible for me to um, to write it. it. It really felt like I was just like wrestling with Shakespeare in a dirty ditch. And at the end of it, I'd come away and I'd be like, I got this part of his shirt. And like next time I'm going to and next time I'll get him. Um yeah, it felt it felt sort of like it was like a, a collegial fight. Yeah. Is it ever like that with you two? <laughs> no. <laughs> Weirdly not, which is really one of the things that has been a special joy. But I fell in love with this play the second I read it. The second I read it, I knew I had to do it because there is so much humanity in it. There is so much humor. There is so much depth. And I revere both inherent theatricality and poetry in the theater. All, you know, I think the theater starts with text and actors and this play is poetry for the theater. It's incredibly spare. It's incredibly economical and it's sitting on an ocean of depth. And what a gift for great actors to be in a room with that text and to bring it vibrantly to life. Um, and, you know, to solve it theatrically um, is one of the real excitements of what this play wants. It wants simple, elegant theatrical solutions that are essentially about actors, light, sound and hmm. language, um, which is really exciting to me because as a director, I'm in love with the collective imagination that theater requires. So what a joy to have to employ it in order to tell this story. I got so ridiculously lucky. Like there are some things that there's some things that take work and there's some things that take luck. And I um, uh, my my department head, Jennifer Kiger, sent me to I was taking a bunch of meetings in L.A. And she um, sent me to Jessica and I walked into her office. And, and I think uh, Jessica essentially programmed the play within 24 hours yep. of my walking into her office and was so clearly the right person for it just she understood every piece of it and that you know uh how often does that happen? i mean that was and it was i was right out of grad school so i was like man i hope i'm making the right choice we'd never met before i hadn't gotten to see you direct before we hadn't yeah. i hadn't gotten to it was my first time in la i hadn't been to boston court before and and i landed in exactly the right place and it's i'm so glad we get to be here together it's a ridiculous joy yeah we are so blessed and i will say you know because i read the play and she answered every question I had every time I read The Merchant of Venice. Every time I was like, really? Does Jessica not love her father? Can she just casually jump out the window with all her worldly goods and not care? Really? You know, does And then Shiloh she's silent, like for the last however much of the play. Yeah. And I was like, not on my watch. Yeah. You, you, you're brilliant Shakespeare, but you got this one wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was like every question I'd ever had when I was wrestling with The Merchant of Venice because I haven't directed it, because I wrestle with it so mightily, Sarah answered brilliantly, humanly, richly, beautifully. So it really was true. I mean, Sarah did have a, an extremely unique grad 
out of right out of grad school experience because <laughs> basically Jennifer sent her to my office. Um, she said it was about the Merchant of Venice. I held up the New Yorker article I was reading about the Merchant of Venice, and I said, "I'm interested in that." Her eyes bugged out of her face, yeah. and she said, "Send it, send it right now." And yeah. I was like, "Did I not, did not come to LA to like not send you the play when you asked for it?" And I had a, I, I took another meeting the next day, and I got out of that meeting, and there was a phone call from you. Yeah, because yeah. basically this also never happens. Somebody gives you a no. play, and you have time to read it right away. But I was motivated, and. <laughs> I read it and then I emailed my fellow artistic director and I said, I think I just found my 2018 play. I have to do this. Um, yeah. And then yeah. I called Sarah and said, hey, <laughs> I'd like to do your play. Um, yeah. Explore a little bit more the whole wrestling, both with a reverence for Shakespeare and mm. a recognition of his deeply flawed humanity as well. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we're I mean, we're we're pretty sure Shakespeare never met a Jewish person. Um, and the center of Merchant of Venice is this um, stereotype that has been, you know, sort of like used for decades and decades as a as an excuse to harm Jews um, in the way that we see, you know, often stereotypes used as ways to harm uh, other groups. And um, uh, he, you know, I you can see him wrestling with, um, you know, how to endow this character with his empathy. Um, and, and and yet there's this thing at the heart of that play that's just that's deeply, deeply harmful, has continued to be harmful in the world through, you know, many, many productions that have been used of this play in, in the same way that that stereotype had been used. Um, and, you know, as I was as I was in this program and we were like breaking down Shakespeare plays and I'm starting to understand the brilliance of how he structures things. And um, and it was like it was it was this really tricky thing to be trying to learn from him and also be um, really frustrated with him. And, uh, and I had to sort of come to an understanding that it was, you know, possible for him to be incredibly brilliant and limited and bigoted and that all these things could be true at the same time. And I wanted to, you know, write a play that would, that would prove to me, to myself that that is true. Were there any responses in, or a generality of responses, um, to the world premiere that surprised you that particularly mm. moved you or... I was overwhelmed by how meaningful people found the play. Um, I found it meaningful, but you never know if that's a particular yeah. passion of my own as opposed to one that is generally in the world. Um, and in the play, Sarah is wrestling with some really powerful questions about assimilation and passing and what, and what it means if you are able to hide parts of yourself and really what that means about internalized self-loathing and about misogyny um, and about women being second-class citizens. And, you know, there were several stunning events that happened during our original run. Um, one of them was that Brett Kavanaugh got confirmed. Um, the day we opened. Uh, and, and there were two women who didn't know each other who happened to be sitting next to each other. And there's a speech that Jessica gives at the end of the play about women. And they found themselves holding hands and weeping. Um, and they sat in the theater after the play ended and they were just weeping because they had been so moved. And that was terribly moving. To be, that ideally, theater is cracking hmm. open your mind and your heart and asking you to look at old things in new ways. And this play did that so powerfully. And I don't have to talk about the horrifying resonance because Squirrel Hill 
the Squirrel yeah, Hill the shooting, shooting happened Pittsburgh. during our run as well. And at the end of that, uh, at the end of that night, the actors actually said something to the audience. And I think, you know, everyone was sort of terribly moved and, you know, I, I wish that that was not a relevant story that we're telling and that it wouldn't be relevant by the summer of 2020, but I suspect it will be. Um, so I am very, I'm very honored that we get to actually share this story and ask people to crack open their minds and hearts and find new ways to think about it. They also get to laugh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. We're talking, talking about things that sound dire, but actually there is so much humor and hilarity and crazy things with people disguising themselves <laughs> and jumping into boats and in... <laughs> Yes, there's a there's a huge amount of humor in the play. Um, one of the many delicious things is that Gabo. Should I blow this surprise? Don't blow any surprise. OK, well, anyway, Gabo and Jessica hang out a lot together and they have a repartee that is actually delicious. Um, yeah, there's so much to laugh at in this play in, in really beautiful ways. Speaking of <clears throat> surprises. Earlier when we were talking, Sarah, you talked about how you actually kind of hope people come in a little unprepared. Could you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Like why that, what you mean by that and, and why that is? Oh, um, let me think about how to answer that one. Um, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the idea that the distinction between drama and comedy is uh, completely false, at least for the work that I love and the work that I make. Um, and, uh, and I, I really, I like to write plays that are like funny and fast paced and, you know, deeply entertaining. Um, and then, and then hopefully break your heart when you're not expecting it. I hope that's what this play does. I think it does. <laughs> Is that a spoiler? Are we, are we okay? That's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, are there production choices you're ready to talk about at this point? Um, even just what it's like, how you envision the space at all. Uh, you know, you're going to be in the round. You weren't in the round before. Previously. Yeah. Um, no, and I can't remember if I have said this already. So, um, no, the production, the production wants to be minimal. It wants to be Shakespearean, meaning like in a Shakespeare play where there is very little and you have to imagine a lot. Um, it wants to give you the bare minimum so that you can understand what's happening. And it wants actors, text, light and sound to do all the rest. So I hope it will be really delicious to look at um, and fairly simple. Yeah, we like making something out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of my go-tos. And I'm sure you, this is definitely not the first time you've been asked this question about anything. But um, why this play at this time at this theater company? Um, well, for, I mean, for me, it's an enormous gift to get to bring this play where I'm, you know, playing with Shakespeare and wrestling with Shakespeare to a Shakespeare audience. Um, that feels, uh, um, uh, really, really emotional and, um, and really joyful, uh, to me. Uh, there, there, there are things that, that, um, the play is is designed so that if you you know know nothing about merchant, you can walk in and have a full experience. 
Um, but also if you do have an understanding of merchant, which I think a lot, a lot of you coming will, um, there are a lot of ways in which we're, you know, playing with him and joking with him and, uh, and you'll, you'll pick up all sorts of Easter eggs, um, that people who weren't as familiar with the Shakespeare, um, wouldn't have. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I have to say it is so exciting to share this with an audience that is familiar with Shakespeare. It's not required. You don't have to know Shakespeare to understand and love this play. But um, what an extra added layer if you do. So to bring it to the Oregon Shakespeare <laughs> Festival, it just couldn't be more exciting. And and for the rest, why this play? Because this is a story that needs to be told. And it's based on a 400-year-old text, um, but the story of parents and children about making, defying your father for love, defying your religion, repudiating who you have been, to reinvent yourself as someone new and what that means and what it costs and the ways in which um, you internalize self-hatred and the ways in which you honor your culture or repudiate it. Um, and the ways in which being a woman continues to be complicated in this world, all of these things feel absolutely immediate and necessary to talk about. And what a gift that we get to talk about it with a play that's going to make you laugh before it makes you cry. It also just struck me that 2020 will be our 80th year. And that back oh. 80 years ago, 1935, Merchant of Venice was one of the very first plays that was put on here in their very first year. So being, you know, wrestling with this in 2020. Yeah. And that yeah. that intersection is pretty spectacular. I, yeah. I have to say it was particularly meaningful to me when I when I finally uh, got to meet Bill in person, which was after you guys programmed the play. Um, and he was talking to me a little bit about the way, you know, the the really tricky things about merchant are are wound into the history of the founding of the festival that was um really really amazing to know that it was coming somewhere where it you know it would feel full circle for for you guys as well as for me and i just realized i said 80th but i meant 85th so i don't oh. know if i can fix that <laughs> forgetting what year i'm in losing track do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our audience no, I'm just really excited to share this amazing, beautiful play with them. I think it's going to be a joyous thrill ride. And I just am so excited that there will be so many people who get to experience the brilliance of yeah. Sarah B. Mantel. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it today for The Rep. Check out the rest of this series for more exciting interviews on our 2020 season. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at OSF Ashland.